0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us on one of the radio stations around the country, or maybe you're watching us on YouTube, or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. We have a very informative show for you today, I've been really looking forward to this. We're going to talk about the CRE Top 10 Issues Affecting Real Estate. Please welcome my guest, Peter Burley. He is a research executive, he's also an author, and he's committee chair of the Counselors of Real Estate External Affairs Committee. Now the CRE counselors are an incredible group of people. I've met several of them and uh, they know what they're talking about in commercial real estate. uh, Their group uh, is, uh, well, it's hard to get in. I'll let Peter tell you a little bit more about it. Peter, thanks for joining us here in Studio One. Thanks, Michael, it's great to be here. Tell us about CRE Counselors first, if you will.
1: Real Estate is a, a professional organization it consists of about 1,100 members worldwide. Uh, it's an invitation-only organization. Uh, You've got to have the creds. Uh, but they are some of the best and the brightest in the industry, uh, the most experienced,
0: the most knowledgeable people. Um, They're also the most generous with their thoughts, words, and deeds. (laughs) And their time. We appreciate you being here. And uh, so you guys put out this report every year, uh, kind of put your heads together and come up with the top 10 uh, issues uh, affecting real estate. And let's get right to them with number 10. Uh, So we're doing the David Letterman style here, right? (laughs) That'll work. Start with number 10 and go down to number one. Number 10 is the rise of experiential retail. Tell us about that,
1: Right. Now, we've had this list, by the way, for the last five years or so. And and the change in the retail model has been on that list for a number of years. What we've noticed is a transition, not just from the dilapidated suburban mall, but where property owners and retailers are moving toward a more experiential um, destination for the consumer. So you have... Uh, a place where there are showrooms, there are entertainment places, there are gathering spaces, uh, restaurants, not just food courts, but actual restaurants that draw people to that location and then feed the retailers as, as uh, they experience the space. Um, a lot of clicks and bricks now. Um, we know that, for instance, a recent uh, survey in, uh, by BRC KPMG just showed globally that online sales comprised about 21% of all retail. Wow. Yeah, and we didn't know this. I mean, I was thinking, oh, maybe it's nine or 10%, but it's actually 21%. That's one-fifth of all retail sales are online. So the retailers are responding by by shrinking the, the actual floor space and the inventory that they're keeping in the stores, but adding an online component to to their offering. So it's clicks and bricks.
0: So they still need that brick presence, right? Absolutely. Don't you want yeah. to touch and
1: feel the Tesla before you <laughs> buy it? <laughs>
0: yes, I do. Right. Yeah, I <laughs> want to hear it too. I can't hear it.
1: <laughs> and that Tesla model is actually uh, a major component. The, 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 the newer kind of retail. You go to the showroom, you see two cars, but you're not going to drive away with one of them. You're going to choose the design you want and the options that you want to place into it, and then some weeks later, you're going to get your new car, but you're not actually buying the car on site.
0: Right. And that gives some opportunities, too, to some of the local tenants to create a draw, right, for the experience?
1: Absolutely. Local retailers are becoming a very big thing. There are two really interesting uh components to this one is that the local retailers these the mom and pops but they're specialty stores that are uh indigenous as you will to the location where where they are and then in addition to that there's this whole change in the definition of what an anchor store is for the mall Um, we've heard that in europe restaurants are becoming anchors to the shopping mall. So we're redefining who's in those spaces and how they're operating and what they offer their consumers.
0: Right, and why they might be considered an anchor too is because they are bringing the people there, right, that are gonna stop in these uh, stores and and maybe they go in the store and buy online at the store, right? Right, absolutely.
1: Or or they they try on the the garment but then they go home and they buy it online, and you know people do this anyway. Right, 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 right. So, but now retailers are responding to that by making it easier for that to happen.
0: Right, and if you're watching this um, on the show website or on YouTube, then you're seeing some of these these bullets in our charts. But if you're listening to the podcast or one of the radio stations around the country, you're not. And one of the bullets is interesting to me is opportunity in secondary and tertiary markets because of this experiential retail. Tell us about that.
1: Well, we know, first of all, that if you're a retail investor, you're going to be search- searching for yield in the secondaries and tertiaries. Right. Anyway. That's where the yield is. But um, it also it, it, prov- it, it gives impetus. It, it helps stimulate the economy in those smaller markets where they might not otherwise have those kinds of economic development opportunities.
0: OK, because there people might be just be shopping online, but if they can get people out for an experience they're shopping in the area
1: they're shopping in the yeah, area Yeah. well that exactly. makes
0: sense yeah. well i'm gonna get to number nine number nine the sharing virtual economy
1: ah yes <laughs> well this one's uh now everybody knows about uber and everybody knows about lyft and i don't know if you have them in atlanta but Divi bikes um where you basically you can pick up a bike and ride it around town and then Bring it back when you're done.
0: Do I have to keep balance? Does it have training wheels? No, well, Does it have a motor?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Please wear a helmet. <laughs> That's all I ask. Okay. But also, in, a diff- in addition to that, zip cars, for instance, the, the, the short-term rental for a zip car. Um, you get off your train. I, I know that I can do this in my home near Chicago. I can get off the train, walk to the zip car, drive off. I've already reserved it, go do my grocery shopping, then take the car back. Then walk home, okay. if I wanted to do that. And then we have Airbnb, which has begun to change the face of the lodging industry, as, as well as travel and leisure in general, where private owners are offering their space, their dwelling, as a, as a, as a lodging space. Yeah. So these are changing the dynamic in parts of the economy. They also offer basically temporary employment for people who are not finding work elsewhere. So it becomes almost a shadow economy and it grows out of the recession period and the difficulties of, you know, uh, of finding a job in, in a, somewhat of a tepid employment market. So, but that changes, for instance, Airbnb changes the hotel space. And if you're a hotel owner Um, what are you going to do? You're going to compete with Airbnb? Or maybe you're going to change your model to mirror the Airbnb model. Um, I can think of a number of hotels in downtown Chicago that have actually said, you know, let's consider maybe changing some of the rooms into small apartments that people can rent as Airbnb-style. So
0: so they're taking notice of the competition. They are
1: taking notice
0: of the competition. And then the... um, sharing of, of vehicles and uh, you know the Ubers and that sort of thing how's that impacting say office properties? Parking well it might
1: change the the parking yeah. requirement a lot yeah um, and, and of course zoning officials aren't haven't really taken notice yet yeah. but that doesn't mean that down the road that won't impact the parking requirement that you have when you develop a new building right. so there is there there is that as well and in addition to these sharing components that we know about, Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, there's also the virtual office and office sharing as well. So we know that there are places that you can be a business without necessarily holding that space uh, in, a, on a, in a lease or in a permanent way. Right. So.
0: Yeah, and uh, we're short on the break, but uh, uh, what do you think about that impacting the office market? You know, the, you know, it seems like we're squeezing more people and less square footage every day. <laughs> well, we are.
1: And I think, you know, the, the, office, um, the office sector is changing dramatically as a result of demographics, as a result of technology, and as a result of some of these, these new entities that are entering the market. Um, but office owners are responding in kind and you know they will adjust right
0: right well stay with us we're talking with peter burley about the top 10 issues affecting real estate and uh we're going to get down to number eight next i'm not going to tell you what it is but it's a big one uh and you might be surprised by number seven stay with us we'll get down to the top number one we'll have the drum roll i'm michael bull this is the commercial real estate show stay with us we'll be right back Welcome back, I'm Michael Bull, and you're listening or watching the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking with Peter Burley with the Counselors of Real Estate, and we're talking about their top 10 issues affecting real estate. And Peter, number eight is energy. I know I could use more energy, (laughs) (laughs) how is energy impacting commercial real estate today?
1: Actually, energy has been on our list for a few years now. A couple of years ago, it was a boom story. You know, let's all dive into the energy sector and, and watch the, the boom in North Dakota and Houston and elsewhere. And now it's not so much a boom story as, as it is a volatility story. At the beginning of the year, we saw oil prices sag to their lowest in as long as I, almost as long as I can remember. And um, uh, one expert I know told me that the uh, actual rig count in the U.S. for extracting oil was at its lowest level in 50 years wow. um, this has a huge impact on the regional economies that depend on energy production particularly in oil and natural gas um, places like houston and places like north dakota which you know the oil shale boom that happened up there has become an oil shale well almost a bust
0: so um, they're the losers who's the winners
1: well <laughs> um right now Nobody, (laughs) Nobody, because when a key commodity like this becomes unstable and volatile, it threatens really the political stability, economic stability, globally. Um, And when you see Saudi Arabian debt being downgraded because oil prices are that low. Now, we are seeing some recovery, but that to me right now looks like volatility. Um, In fact, it's 100% over its low um, as of yesterday, I believe. price of oil. I think it was back up to $51 a barrel. But um, it puts pressure on those markets that have depended on it. And it puts pressure on investors who are thinking of developing or investing in those
0: markets like Houston and and North Dakota. Right. Something to really uh, take into account when you're doing that. And let's look at number seven the disappearing middle class now are they disappearing because they're becoming poor
1: (laughs) well partly yeah actually um we know that wages uh in in real terms are down roughly five percent i believe
0: i guess i'm laughing about myself i'm going from (laughs) middle class to poor
1: (laughs) (laughs) well welcome to the club yeah Yeah. now we know that wages are down uh on on a real basis over the last 15 years uh, in, in such a way that um, the middle class wage has become so stagnant, um, people are actually falling down through the ladder, rather than climbing up. Um, we know that um, wealth has, median wealth, for instance, has fallen 28% uh, since the housing market crisis. Uh-huh. Now, of course, a lot of that has to do with home values. Yes. Right. But um, that's very hard on a middle class family when their wealth is, is that low. And then we have the, the one-income versus two-income family. Um, it used to be when I was growing up, when my father was the breadwinner. He was a, you know, a one-income household. Um, then we went to a few two-income households and they were doing pretty well. But two-parent homes with kids under 18 um, Fell from 72% single income to 37% single income um, over a period of 40 years. Uh-huh. And uh, now 60% of, the, of households have two incomes. Well, what does that mean? It means less opportunity in the middle market. It's influenced the retail side. Um, you know, the middle market retailers Sears, Macy's, um, you know, Penny's was under a lot of stress. Um, those have suffered some. And um, we know that the housing market itself suffers when people can't afford or don't feel that they can afford to buy a new
0: home. Right. Well, I think gonna we'll go back to like the old farming days where even my children I put to work. <laughs> you know, I don't want a, I don't want a four-income family. <laughs> yeah, I tried that, it didn't work well for me. All right, well, let's look at number six, housing affordability, as you were just talking about, and credit constraints.
1: Right. And. This one has been bubbling up, not just in the U.S., it's actually been bubbling up in Europe as well. Um, There are such low inventories of available housing for sale um, that that's pushed pricing way up. And it's been outstripping wage growth, which we just talked about, um, to the point where people cannot afford to buy homes in many markets. San Francisco is a perfect example, um, where... I grew up in the Bay Area, and the median price for a home in my hometown is $1.2 million. Now, I can't afford that. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I just don't have the cash today. That's um, what
0: you're telling your wife anyway. That's what I keep telling her.
1: <laughs> <But> <laughs> in addition to that, though, are the credit constraints. Um, and there's been a, a considerable swing back to such tight credit that people are not qualifying. and. Um, there's been damage to their credit scores because of one thing or another over time. Um, they're, they're having a hard time qualifying for that mortgage to buy the house. So you've got two very strong forces making it very difficult for people to actually get into those
0: homes. Yeah, and one of your bullets, if uh, you're in the radio, you're not seeing them, but it uh, was the opportunity for micro-apartments and micro-apartments and mixed use. Tell us about that.
1: Right. Well, part of the problem, in addition to the home ownership side, is the rental side. And rents have been just roaring over the past couple of years. Sure, yeah. And now they're starting to exceed those incomes as well. It's very hard to qualify for an apartment to right. rent. Um, in some markets, your income ratio to rent is, or the rent to income is like over 50% or more. And that's not sustainable over time. So let's make some more affordable apartments for people, particularly those millennials who want to live in, the, in center city in urban areas. Um, they don't want to stay home all the time anyway. Right. So give them 500 square feet or less at a, an affordable rent yeah. and give them gathering spaces where they can meet with their friends either in the building or beyond.
0: Yeah, and some of those apartments are really small, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen them uh, at 200 square feet.
0: Yeah, so do you think because of this affordability issue that the apartment market uh, will stay strong, the demand will be there? The demand is going to be there for uh, yeah. cons- for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I, I, there's just no doubt
1: about that. The question is, what can rents do yeah. um, over time? And we yeah. are starting to see a plateau in rents. I just read a report yesterday that um, Rents were rising at an annual rate of about 3.9, I believe, nationally. Um,
0: uh, that's as opposed to plus five and plus six um, over the last couple of years. And what's it mean, Peter, for the housing market for um, developers there?
1: Well, you know, developers uh, are actually starting to look at other options. Um, one of those options is to go back to those developments which were starter homes. Yeah. Um, let's build 1,200, 1,500-square-foot 1, starter homes, 3-in-1s, with a kitchen and appliances uh, and a small lot, and make that part of the market again, yeah. which it just hasn't been for a long time.
0: At least you call that four four holes in a door or something, It's <laughs> you <know, laughs> your basic house, right?
1: Right, exactly. It's the house that, um, heck, I started, at, you know, I won't tell you back when, but mm-hmm. Um, you know starter home is not a bad place to start
0: yeah well my first home was a triplex so a three-unit home and my portion was a one-bedroom apartment and I I loved it you know and it's all I could afford I needed the rents from the other units to actually pay the mortgage (laughs) I'm glad no one moved out I'd have been in trouble (laughs) well stay tuned we'll have more on the top 10 issues affecting commercial real estate with Peter Burley I'm Michael Bull this is the commercial real estate show we'll be right back The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by CCIM Institute, commercial real estate's global standard for professional achievement. Visit ccim.com slash CRE show. That's ccim.com slash CRE show. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and you're watching or listening to the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're talking with Peter Burley from the Council of Real Estate about their top 10 issues affecting real estate. I wanted to say commercial real estate, but this is affecting all of real estate. And number five is the political environment. Tell us about that.
1: Uh, I wish I didn't have to. It's pretty <laughs> obvious, right? Yeah. I mean, the way things are today. Um, actually, you know, the acrimony the 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 discontent politically is is actually a global thing right now um they just had elections in austria which were very intense and um britain is deciding in about 10 days whether it's going to stay in the eu and and that's a very contentious battle and then of course we have our own national political uh circus
0: uh so <laughs> circus, yeah
1: but It's at all levels. It's global and it's national, but it's also local. And a lot of local environments. And this is where real estate really gets impacted. I mean, all politics is local, so is real estate, right? So there are communities that are having difficulty making decisions and also paying for those decisions. So the tax environment, which can either attract or repel a business or even a a consumer looking to live in that area. so we, and we know that you know, that's going to have a big impact on where people live, where people do business, um, whether the infrastructure in that community can uh, support um, new businesses and people moving into those communities. Uh, Chicago is a great example of this, um, having a very hard time, almost as hard as Congress has, to make decisions and then to actually pay for those decisions. Yeah. Um, we live with that in Chicago every day. So, um, the politics is local and the, and the real estate is local, um, has real impact and um, not all communities are necessarily finding their way out of out of the, the maze as it were.
0: Yeah, well it's interesting because I think, you always think of political unrest or the political environment when you're talking about investing in a country. Uh, but, like you said, you really want to look at local uh, the local politics and see what's going on. Right. Well, let's look at number four, d- densification, urbanization, I guess we've all seen some of that. Well, absolutely. And actually, we've had urbanization on our
1: list for uh, a number of years as well. But what we're really talking about is a, a re-densifying, as it were, um, of where people live and where people are doing business and where people are shopping and playing. Um, So urban centers, we know, they attract the businesses, um, partly because the people are there, but they also attract the people because the work is there, the retail that they want is there, the entertainment they want is there, Uh, usually public transportation is available, there's a walkability factor. And uh, we know that uh, people are moving into the cities in huge numbers, Uh, globally it's, in. I can't remember the percentage, but I think it's roughly 80%.
0: And it's interesting because you used to think of people becoming well-to-do and then moving out of town. Right,
1: right. But then they have a commute, right? <laughs> right.
0: Exactly. Now they want to be in town, right, and be yeah. around everyone. Even baby boomers, you know, my age, I, I, it's, and, and even me, I'm interested in living in a, a live-work urban environment. I mean, sure. It's, it's fun. Yeah, it is, it's actually. It's It's a
1: lot of fun. And yeah. But the thing is, then you're competing with the the millennials who want to be there and and anybody else. Well, they better
0: like Beatles music or... (laughs) (laughs) Or Arlo Guthrie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But we know that the 24-hour city is is really the dynamic place where businesses and people want to be. Um, And this isn't to say that the suburb is necessarily going to die. Uh, a lot of people have, have rung the death knell for suburbs, but actually what we're seeing is that suburbs are urbanizing themselves, they're densifying.
0: They're becoming more
1: dense. They are, and yeah. they're they're doing that for very good reason because it's attractive and uh, people want to be there, and businesses as well.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. So where are there opportunities related to this? Well,
1: in terms of uh, the densification, it's going to be ongoing, but infill in, in and around the urban core um, has become a very hot commodity. So if you can find an infill space um, and make the place, you're going to be very successful in all likelihood. Uh, we've noticed this in the West Loop in Chicago, which has been basically densified and, and redeveloped into uh, a destination area with lots of restaurants, lots of shops, lots of places to live. And um, we've seen it um, in the domain—a um, mixed-use development in North Austin, which has retail on the ground floor um, and some traditional retailers. It also has the clicks and bricks um, stores like Tesla, mm-hmm. and then it has beautiful park settings for people to gather. And um, you can sit at a restaurant on the terrace and watch the children play in the park. <laughs> I mean, it's that. It's that.
0: That's elegant. Yeah, well, that's nice, and it? That's a great environment. Well, stay with us. We're going to have the top three issues impacting real estate. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back, I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're talking with Peter Burley, the counselors of real estate, about their top 10 issues affecting real estate. And we're getting now to the top three. We're at number three, demographic demographic shifts. It's a big one, it's easy for me to say, right? Right,
1: (laughs) demographic shifts. And actually, this one's been on our list, I think all the way through, as long as we've been doing these top 10 every year. Um, the, The fact of the matter is, Millennials now have overtaken uh, the boomers in terms of population growth. Um, Boomers—those scoundrels. Well, we're also on de- in decline, Michael. So. <laughs> but uh, still, the millennials and the boomers combined make up more than half the population in the United States, and uh, that's a huge numbers. It's you know more than 150 million people, um, and. Because the millennials are starting to move into um, real life, um, many of them are actually starting households. Many of them are actually leaving their parents' basements, but not many uh, yet. Um, There is a a little bit of a conflict between boomer spaces and millennial spaces, um, which presents some opportunities that we can talk about. But boomers are retiring, rate of about 10,000 per day um, and at the same time, the number of people over 90 is growing um, so fast that I think it's by, um, it's tripled since 1980, and by 2040, uh, they'll represent, in the neighborhood, of 15% of the population. Wow. Um, I'd have to look at the, the number exactly, but it's something like that. Mm-hmm. So these large demographic cohorts have needs, they need housing, they need places to work, they need places to shop, work, and play, all that. And um, that's where real estate comes in and, and it recognizes how to serve those needs. Um, one of them, of course, and we've talked about you know, the, the urban environment or the urbanization of the suburbs, those environments where people can have the walkable communities. Um, My millennial daughter does not have a car. She does not want a car. She wants public transportation. She wants to be able to walk out of her apartment, get on a bus or a train, go to her office, go to work. The office looks different, too, by the way. Um, And then we've talked about the retail uh, and how that's changing. And then we have the elder services for those aging boomers. Many of us are going to have some needs as we grow older. Um, And uh, that presents opportunities really for aging services, whether those are, um, you know, medical facilities, medical office, uh, assisted living, as much as the boomers want to deny it, and as much as they would rather age in place, we probably are gonna have those same needs that our parents did. Um, Maybe at an older age, but we're still gonna need them.
0: Right, and we're definitely gonna need uh, more health care. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're beating our bodies terribly. <laughs>
1: well, we beat them up when we were young. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, let's get to number two, debt capital market retrenchment.
1: Right. This one um, is, has been slowly emerging over the last, I would say, year, maybe six months in particular, largely because the, the uh, risk retention rule is going to affect next month unless there's legislation to change that um, from the Dodd-Frank bill. Um, There is legislation going through Congress, but it's been very, very slow to reduce those risk retentions, to offer qualified mortgage status for certain um, debt instruments. But we really do consider that the pace of uh, lending is probably going to slow for the remainder of this year. Um,
0: is that for <coughs> just new development or is that for even existing? Construction. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. New construction is, is probably going to see a, a pullback at least. The banks have been told, um, and they represent about half of, of that lending pool. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been told you, you might want to reduce your exposure there. CMBS is um, troubled right now. They're a little floppy because of the risk retention rules. And even the insurance companies who are out there, you know, in uh, a relatively strong presence, but they're slowly beginning to reach their allocation levels. So we're probably going to see some pullback a little bit for at least the re- remainder of this year.
0: Right. And where there's challenges, there's opportunities, right? There are. I mean, mm-hmm. If
1: you can find some, some unregulated, non-traditional lenders,
0: go for it. Right, right. And one of those is crowdfunding, right? Absolutely.
1: Crowdfunding is one of those interesting um, new sort of shadow economy um, trends, but crowdfunding has become now significant enough so that the regulators are actually starting to look at it. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is, it is, it's very small right yeah. now. But yeah.
0: Yeah, we had Steve uh, Reno from Sari Finance on, and he talked about even some of the larger banks looking at crowdfunding. I'm like, this could grow faster than than a lot of people are thinking.
1: Well, if they can raise the limits to what crowdfunding um, allocations can be, um, that might make it more attractive to to some people. Right,
0: right. So where are some other uh, opportunities with uh, uh, debt capital markets? I mean, we, we need our money. <laughs> what about interest rates? Right, what do you guys think about interest wait, rate? No, no interest, wait, wait.
1: At the beginning of the year, we thought, oh, you know, the interest rate environment's really going to actually get back to like normal. Um, the <laughs> um, new normal? We, yeah, a new normal, whatever that new normal might be. I mean, rates right now are still very, very attractive. Yeah. Um, and, but at the time, at the end of last year, the beginning of this year, it was pretty, it seemed likely that rates were going to start rising. And, uh, they stopped.
0: Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, stay with us. We're going to get to the number one issue affecting real estate right after this break. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking with Peter Burley. He's the Counselors of Real Estate uh, Committee Chair. On their report, CRE Top Ten Issues Affecting Real Estate. And we are now, drumroll please, at number one. <laughs> Whatever that sounds like, right? Number one, the changing global economy. Tell us about that, Peter.
1: Well, it's changing. It's uncertain. It's... Um, slowing. Uh, The IMF has just uh, revised all of its GDP growth estimates globally um, by half a percent or so which is a significant amount for IMF uh, global forecast. Um, The National Association for Business Economists just did the same thing basically saying that in 2016 we'll probably see about 1.8 percent GDP growth. Next year maybe about 2.3 um, that's a downshift from what we were expecting coming into the year Yeah. Um, but um, you know with all of the global deceleration all of the global uncertainties all political as well as economic um, the US is still like the most attractive place in the world um, to invest and well there's been some uncertainty here as well. The, the, the capital is still looking to find places to go. Right. Um, secondary and tertiary markets, in particular, in the U.S., where the yields are higher, um, the opportunities seem to be popping up.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think the the guy driving down the road in his car might think that how if real estate's a local, you know, how does the world economy really impact the U.S. But it's kind of shrunk, hasn't it? It, it, it? We're impacted by what's going on all around the world here.
1: Absolutely, we are. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, we look at the currency issues that are going on in, in Europe, for instance, or we you know, look at a slowdown in, in growth in China. Um, but they still look over the, over the water and they still see the opportunities here and uh, they're pretty significant.
0: Yeah. Now, there's been some recent changes with FERPTA, the Foreign Investment and Real Property Tax Act, which actually makes it even more favorable for foreign investors, of some entities, of foreign investors to invest in U.S. So does that mean we should expect more foreign investment in U.S., and might that impact values here?
1: Well, I think that, you know, that actually with FERPTA, there was some hesitation because the, the outcome was unclear at one point, and so people were holding back. Now they, they have less reason, at least in that regard, to, uh, to hold back and they can, they can look more uh, aggressively or uh, enthusiastically, as it were, yeah. to, to U.S. assets. Absolutely.
0: Well, what would be your, your number one takeaway from this report this year, Peter, as a, a tip for our listeners and viewers? What's
1: interesting is, um, to me, as we put this together, it's, it's really fascinating how intertwined all of these trends and themes are. You can't talk about retail without talking about the urban model. You can't talk about that without talking about the the generations, the millennials and the boomers. You can't talk about... Uh, investing in uh, secondary tertiary markets without talking about global capital entering the U.S. They're all intertwined. They all have an impact. Uh, It's worthwhile to keep an eye on everything that is going on in the world. It's not always easy, (laughs) (laughs) but... uh, it's important to do.
0: A good point, Peter. Thanks for joining us today in Studio One. We appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Great information, and we'll have a link to some information on the report. Uh, and be sure to visit their website at CRE.org. Again, incredible people belong in this organization. Uh, do check it out. And you wanna join us next week. We're gonna have a show, and the title is Social Media for Business. We're gonna have a social media expert to talk about some different strategies that help you with social media. And if you don't think social media is important to your business, well, it is. (laughs) So be sure and join us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. For requests, assumptions, consulting, and restructuring, call First Service Solutions at 817-756-756. 7227.